This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A pandemic, months of racial justice protests, and devastating fires haven't stopped TriMet's buses and trains from running. But where does the transit agency go from here? I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with TriMet General Manager Doug Kelsey about this challenging year, how it's affected his agency and staff, the future of public transit, and why he says TriMet needs another federal stimulus infusion. We talked about whether TriMet's future is with buses or light rail, why Vancouver, British Columbia has a greater share of transit riders, and much more. Here's our conversation. Doug Kelsey, thanks so much for taking time to talk to me today. Good morning. What is your mood like right now? You're leading this you know, very important transit agency through first a pandemic and and now wildfires here. We're talking in late September, but uh, it's been a, I would imagine, a pretty challenging year to to be in charge of TriMet. You know, it really has. Um, we all go through different experiences in our lives, and uh, you know, I've done multiple Olympic games, and this is right up there. I got to tell you, it's uh, it's uh, when you start to look at COVID, the impacts on the economy riots, protests, um, the fires we've all gone through. It's, uh, it's been a real, real tumultuous time for, I, I'm not worried about me. I'm more worried about my employees at, and, our, and our team. And, uh, they've been absolutely up to the challenge, but, uh, you know, I think we all know it, it takes a toll, hmm. but we're, 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 you know, we're adaptable human beings and we will get through this and we are getting through it as we're seeing, it doesn't make it easy. Yeah, a lot of uh, uh, folks have the luxury, I guess, of of being able to work remotely. But when you're, you know, operating uh, the bus, both you and I ride the line thirty five, right? You can't. <laughs> yeah, we uh, do. You can't just sit at home or work from from your kitchen. Yeah, they have a mobile office, um, but it's not just our bus operators. Their heroism is is amazing. You know, we are an essential service, Andrew, and uh, you know we need to get people who are are doctors and nurses and cleaners to do their essential service. And so, you know, we have to be up to that task. And our operators are doing an amazing job. Our cleaners are, our mechanics. We often forget about all the people who are out there doing um, safety and security Mm -hmm. as well as also repairing tracks and signals. Uh, So there's a whole spectrum of people um, that are just really taking the challenge here. And it's, it is absolutely not easy. And I, I just, I'm, we're so grateful. We have so many great people. Do you get a sense of what the mood is like 
from those essential workers, be it, um, you know, the folks who are engineers keeping everything running or the operators, um, cause we are, you know, more than six months into a very challenging year. I, I think it, it does take a toll and we also can't forget all the people that they go home to. This doesn't just stop at work. And so, uh, it's, it's been a challenge on morale. It's been a challenge on getting up every day. You know, I, I try and get up every day and put my work boots on every day too. It's been long hours for every one of us playing different roles. You know, the, the courage, the heroism of everybody getting up every day when they're tired, um, and taking another shift, um, uh, as, uh, as to be applauded. It's, it's not easy, but it's what we do. And the results show that the team is really good at it. Now we're talking, like I said, in late September, but the union workforce that makes TriMet go is operating on a contract that, you know, has been extended right from last November. Does that add to some of the tension, do you think, in terms of, you know, not only is it a pandemic and the wildfires and everything else, but there's also a labor um, disagreement? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I'm always optimistic and, uh, and through labor negotiations, there are a lot of uh, challenges and tensions that come at the table, not just at TriMet's collective agreements, uh, but uh, everywhere. So, yes, you could put that into the mix as well um, for some people. And so, particularly overlay the economy. This is, these are these are challenging times. All combined together, it's it's you know you kind of take a breath when you take each one and list it out. But then if you put them all together, it 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 adds it adds to the mix and it it impacts everybody differently. Um, when was the last time you were on a, on a bus or train? Oh, uh, last week. What's the experience like, you know, cause I am one of those folks who I'm not going to an office and so I'm not transiting anywhere. Um, I mean, tell people what it's like, uh, riding, riding a bus or train right now. Well, I think if you look at our ridership there, the ridership is way down, um, I think people are minding their business. They're really doing a good job creating their space. And not only was on uh, taking transit, frankly, last Friday, um, I was, uh, you know, we did a large project, Andrew, on the steel bridge recently for mm-hmm. about a month. And uh, I came out and was a ride guide with many others. I did about five shifts and um, people's demeanor was pretty good. The ridership is significantly down. And so that allows for more spacing, but the general mood is is reasonable, um, and people are going about their business. So uh, um, we are seeing a slight uptick in ridership uh, currently, but uh, it's it's still pretty fragile. But uh, there's a lot of space out there on those buses and trains. Well, let's talk a little bit more about ridership because you know, right before uh, this uh, pandemic hit, it seemed like maybe TriMet was starting to turn a corner a little bit on getting ridership to to come back a little bit, uh, thanks to some of the, uh, service, uh, enhancements and added, added frequency and whatnot from the 2017 state, uh, legislative package. Um, can you talk a little bit about what gains you were seeing and, and it's gotta be a little bit frustrating to have this happen, uh, right as that was potentially poised to see, you know, a little bit more people riding buses and rails. Yeah, well, contrary to some of the historic myths that were out there that ridership has been down, in fact, pre-COVID, in fact, ridership has been up by, oh, I, I can't remember the exact number of months in a row, but it's like six plus. So yes, we uh, the turnaround was coming, and that's attributed to a number of things. We've been looking to speed the system up. Uh, we're looking to be more reliable. 
and uh, we've gone from 75% on-time performance in terms of meeting the schedule to in the 90s now. Um, so there's some changes we've had to make, mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's right. It, yeah, it's frustrating. But these are this is also the market conditions we face, um, whether they're controlled or not, and we have to make sure we're doing everything we can to make sure when the riders or our customers are ready, that we're ready. So yeah, we were putting more service out on the street. We are working on the division transit project for $175 million. That's still going on. We're working on the red line extension, which would be new cars going out to, um, uh, Fairplex double tracking to the airport. That's about mm-hmm. $206 million. So there's a lot of things we've still got in the pipeline. that are going to help us, but but there's also, because of the health issue we are all facing, we've got to make sure that people trust us. Um, and so that's one of the reasons we really took a bold move, probably the first in the United States, to actually put and commit to putting masks on the system for all of our rail and bus, buses, as well as hand sanitizers. And this is in addition to all the cleaners, trying to get to every four hours as best we can, mm-hmm. depending on how schedules run. So if people don't feel they can trust us, or don't feel safe, then um, there's a high probability they're going to be less willing to come. So we've got to take care of those things. And then as we add service back, um, and it will come back. Um, I'm very optimistic it will come back. It's going to take some time, but we've got to be ready to do our part first. So I think some of the ridership is you and I are just talked about um, are a lot more people working from home. Right. And so some of those folks may not be five days a week going forward. They may be two or three, but there also may be with the economy and such, there may be people who had the privilege and the luxury of taking their car who may go, you know what, I'm going to take transit now. So I think there's new markets that we're going to have to reposition ourselves to uh, while some make changes like working from home, we we may see less of those in in the short term. So uh, I'm trying to look at the short, medium and longer term and things like e-bikes, instead of people talk about the last mile, I think e-bikes are an amazing addition to healthy ways of getting around. So I think we'll be looking at the last miles, plural. Mm-hmm. Um, so the range of how you can feed into the network will actually, I think it's going to grow over, over time really nicely. So there are changes in the markets that we're going to have to adapt and, and modernize. We're looking, for example, as a, as a headset tour, uh, using transit to allow people to use it as an educational tool. So if you're taking the orange line for say, and on your left-hand side is the submarine on a clear day, you can see Mount Hood and, and use it to, as an educational tool and a tourist tool on non-peak times when we have ridership capacity available. So things like that, we're looking at in addition to loyalty programs. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, Doug, I've heard you talk in the last couple of years a lot about, um, you know, kind of studying where the ridership went and whether it was, you know, whether it's just people moving to town, um, and driving or people taking, you know, ride hailing services like Uber and Lyft more, what have you. But I'm wondering if you go back to, I don't know, if you look at ridership figures from 2005, you know, um, more, (laughs) more people in the metro area were riding, um, buses and, and trains then, uh, than they were, uh, kind of in, in 2018. Um, why, why is that? Um, can, how do you explain that, you know, kind of eroding over time? Yeah, um, I, 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 as you know, I, I wasn't here in 2005, but right. uh, or through the recession 2008. What I can say is I look at what I see this region and this, I'll call, uh, mobility marketplace now. Mm-hmm. I can't go back in time, but I can compare to we are, um, to where other 
other regions in the world that I've had the privilege of working around. And we have about 4% transit market share if you're the private sector or modal share. What that means for your listeners are of all the trips in the region, about 4% are on transit, max, bus, et cetera. And so I, I think we have a, a lot of unfinished business here. We still have capacity on our rail and bus networks in addition to adding new capacity post-COVID. Um, but I also think we have to change policies. This region needs to start to tilt the playing field to take advantage of the really important urban growth boundary that was put in place here many years ago to have queue jumper lanes. So if a bus pulls up next to a line of cars, um, the bus goes first right. um, in many cultures of the world. So we've got to start tilting the playing field to give advantage to healthy forms of living and mobility. We need to take advantage of transit-oriented development. People are, um, real estate prices have gone up. Real estate interest rates have been at some of the historic lows. So a lot of people have, have moved outside high real estate places or can't afford them at all. So that's where I think transit-oriented development is a recalibrator of higher real estate prices right next to transit. And I'm working on one right now with our team on uh, uh, the Hollywood Transit Center, you may be aware. So mm-hmm. instead of having a piece of land, a bus comes in, well, why don't we consider selling the land, putting you know six, seven stories on there, and those are actually, the crime goes way down, our costs get taken on the business, and those people become long-term riders um, that, that don't may not need a car. So I think there's a whole lot of those kind of things we've got to change uh, in the policy side, and we also need to come up with more products. The price of cars, um, and the barriers to entry to owning a car through the you know the largest stock market increase in history um, that we've been going through is the barriers to owning a car are pretty pretty low, and so and, and fuel prices have now gotten low. So I think comparatively, um, those have been some of the some of the challenges. So when you put them all together, it's a complex web of we've got to rewire how we do what we do, and increase our frequency on our services. That's the number one request we get from the, our customers in our surveys is, in fact, want more service, want more of it, and more frequency. They like what we're doing, but they want more of it. So do you think the whole wheel and spoke system of, of transit, you know, where people coming into downtown from the suburbs, is, is that still uh, a reality? You know, when I look at cities like London, Singapore, Copenhagen, and others, you cannot have it. But part of what we're going through is a region, and we're a mid-sized region, you know, Dallas or Denver ourselves. Right. We're not New York or other ones who've, or Paris who've had major, major investments underground, big, big fast trains and, and mm-hmm. buses. So I think we're going through changes right now where it's going to be more like the old, I'm aging myself by saying this, like pickup sticks. <laughs> People aren't just, they aren't just having to work in the central business district anymore. They may actually travel. I know examples where people live in Troutdale and actually work out in um, out in Hillsboro. So you're, I think the travel patterns are changing, and technology's got a part of that. But to say you don't need a central business district model only, I think you need that, and you need the suburban mix. Most cities, from my own experience, Andrew, have actually done a pretty good job in the central business district. You can walk, you can cycle, you can, you're in close proximity because that's where a lot of things intersect. Right. The challenge is when it, the further out you get, the wider the gap on the spokes, if you will, on your tire of the region. And as people move on those outside 
uh, patterns, that's where I think uh, further investment is going to be needed and further p- policy changes uh, where we can get ahead of it rather than it's all densified and, and uh, it's too late and too expensive to make those changes. I know you weren't here during those during these times, but, you know, I covered the city of Hillsborough, uh, you know, eight years ago. And, you know, there's a discussion then about having more north south routes uh, to connect, uh, you know, South Hillsborough, the future development there and Cornelius Pass and some of the Intel campuses. And, you know, that's it's been almost a decade and and uh you know, we, we haven't seen those level of investments. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's always follow the money, right? So through the great wisdom of House Bill 2017 that you referenced earlier on, it became approximately pre-COVID a 50 to $55 million projection of expanded service and programs. So to give us a bit of a kickstart, that's not the end. That's because the region, I think, has to get personally with these policy changes plus investments has to get to double digit modal share. I think it's very important. Um, We're at four percent right now. I think it's like four point one percent, Andrew. But let's call it four yeah. percent for this conversation. Okay. So the base here is really just excellent, and the four mothers and fathers before us have done a really nice job laying this network out. But we're not finished yet, and then we have to overlay not just capital rebar and investments. We have to overlay programs and services um, like our hop card, so people can plan, book, pay. And, and minimize the, I call, frictions of getting around on public transit um, yeah. and, and connect from transit to maybe an e-bike to a scooter and different combinations of things of healthy living. And if we can network all that and integrate that together, then they can, they can see the net cost, the net travel time, and then they become in control. So that's one of the reasons uh, for me, the mindset for this region has to move from a transit mindset to a mobility mindset. Transit can't solve everybody's problems. Um, So it's part of the solution, but it's not the solution. Let's take a break and come back and talk a little bit more with Doug Kelsey, uh, general manager of TriMet. Doug, there's a, very significant ballot measure um, coming up in November, and I know you can't specifically talk about the measure itself, but um, there's a uh, 11 mile light rail extension to to uh, Bridgeport Village that is kind of the centerpiece of this project. And I know you weren't around when this is uh, on the books, but this project has been on the books for a long time. W- why is this something that uh, TriMet has looked to for uh, really decades at this point? Why has it been highlighted as something that is worth pursuing? Well, yeah, I, I, as you mentioned up front, I said, I, I think just for your, your listeners, um, since the ballot has been dropped, I'm legally not in a position to advocate pro, for or against this. So as a public servant, if you will. So now they're in this ballot, I have to be very careful. It's, you know, by 2035, uh, you know, there's going to be 70,000 people are projected to be there um, in this area where this line is. Um, you know, ten, this is about 10% of the region's populations, Andrew. So it, it's only logical that, that you lay the facts out that there would be significant policy interest in like the 2040 plan. And, and, you, and, the, and your listeners can find this, you know, you know getmoving2020.org for all those details that get into the underpinnings of it. But the facts of the matter are this is a growing part of the region. Okay. So what happens if uh, voters... Uh, don't uh, approve 
the get moving package, the uh, transportation package that includes uh, billions for the uh, light rail line. Yeah, well, I think one of the other facts I think it's important in the T2020 ballot is $975 million allocated to this. Mm -hmm. So if this, if November 4th comes up, and it will, um, if you've indicated and is not successful, the project will not advance. It will not move forward. Um, And, you know, the next step after that is we'll have to take a, a pause and then consult with our all the partners who've been at the table all this uh, all this way, and uh, determine what are the appropriate next steps. But if it is unsuccessful, um, it will not advance. When you talked about a, a short term, medium term, long term plan for the agency, uh, I guess given kind of the flexibility that you talked about and that people desire so much um, in their daily lives, is is TriMet's long-term future tied to buses or to light rail? Well, I think, you know, it's a, each one solves a different problem. Um, I learned, I learned a long time ago from one of my mentors, buses are kind of like the army. They're very nimble and flexible. It can get out of trouble. The, the, uh, light rail is like the Navy or the big aircraft carriers. It takes a lot of investment, a lot of capital to move it around, but it, they perform fundamentally and complementary different kinds of, uh, services that they feed into each other. Um, you know, if you're in the private sector, you would never fly a, uh, Boeing 747 airplane when a dash eight or 737 can do the trick. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to look at what problem are we trying to solve? short, medium, and the more the capital, the more the permanent the infrastructure is, then you want to look at that long-term ridership capability. And so different tools of technology solve different problems. And even within bus or rail, you have different growths. You have smaller shuttle buses. You have 30-foot buses. We have 40-foot buses. We have something called the accordions, the articulated buses. Right. And then you go to the same thing with rail. Commuter rail is, is different than light rail. Um, I ran the largest automated light rail system in the world in Vancouver, British Columbia. And that's, uh, that's, that capacity can handle a lot more than light rail, but it's less than subway. So each one is a stair step as to what problem you're trying to solve or problems. Usually there's more than one that's complex. And, uh, and I think that's part of what we're looking at is, is making sure we look at whether we look at the I-5 bridge, what kind of technology is needed over an I-5 bridge, bus or train, and all the emotions that went with that right. years ago. So I'm agnostic personally to technology generally. At some point, you'll lock into some some general themes because it gets so costly to carry so many different types of, of uh, vehicle types. Uh, I'm, you mentioned your former employer um, up in, in Vancouver, BC, uh, TransLink. Um, now that you've been away from there for five years now, right? Yes, about yeah. five years. Coming up on five. What do you think uh, they do well? Because their mode split up there is significantly higher for transit than down here in the Portland metro area. Well, there, there's not right or wrong. They're just These are different choices. And there's different cultures in each. Part of the conversation in this region, i.e. the 2040 uh, plan, is laying out what are the policy changes that need to happen to enable 
transit and mobility to really be optimized. So we went, when I was there, from about 6% modal share, slightly mm-hmm. higher than here at 4. And by the way, each percentage points is a lot of work. And we ended up around 12%. And it's a reflection, not so much of the modal share per se, but it's a reflection of use and that it works for people in their lives. So frequency, the pursuit of frequency, speed, and reliability and comfort throughout the different parts and dynamics of the community is, to me, very important. So they've done a really good job on that. Um, I think the base here is really, really nice that the Mac system in particular um, is uh, is uh, just an excellent base to go from. So um, they've done well on the policy and, and, the, and the, the pursuit of that policy, like London and, and, uh, and neither of us in Vancouver, BC or here, you know, are close to, say, what some of the European cities doing. Like uh, Stockholm, and I was over there last year, it's 44% modal share. Yeah. London, 42. So, and then cycling kicks in, like we saw in Copenhagen, kind of. And so, mm-hmm. I, I am so optimistic that the steps that are being taken in the, the contemplations here um, and overlaying technology with, you know, plan book pay, smart cards, all these things add up to um, a to leverage this urban growth boundary, which most places don't have. Um, that is a precious gift to really densify. Um, so I think the conditions are really exciting here, frankly. So TriMet obviously depends on uh, payroll tax revenue as well as, uh, you know, passenger fare to, to uh, you know, pay the bills. Um, but how much uh, of your optimism going forward is contingent on, on uh, continued state support other additional revenue sources, per, perhaps, or and federal support. Well, it's foundational. Um, you know, we um, we look at the. In fact, I I personally like diversity of revenue streams rather than all or one. Mm-hmm. I've seen many of my um, CEO or general manager counterparts of the country who are solely on sales tax. You'll live or die by that sword. So I learned from being in a private sector, a big multinational company many years ago, diversity of revenue streams is actually really helpful. It helps absorb the drop when they happen. And it's inevitable at some points. So you don't follow as far typically. So I think there, there is a role for the state. There's absolutely a role for the user. Um, I'm, and I think it's going to be very interesting, this federal election um, that is just is upon us. And the role of the reappropriation of transit at the federal level uh, that's due up uh, I think in the next year or two around the, the billions literally being allocated to help fund um, transit authorities, just like ourselves examples being division transit for just under um, a, uh, uh, about $90 million from mm-hmm. the FTA. The great partners for us, really great. We just got a grant for them for 1.2 million for uh, looking at pushing uh, mobility options you know, with some joint ventures. So um, you start to look at the red line for, um, it's already been tweeted out that we're going to proceed on that for just approximately $100 million. So um, that's a really important part because transit is expensive by its nature. And so therefore, it, it, most revenue streams individually can't carry it. So I think I, I support diversity of it. Yeah, TriMet and, and the City of Portland's uh, Transportation Bureau have worked over the last year on on uh, some of these projects that we talked about earlier to give buses a leg up in traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, the so-called uh, Rose Lane project uh, from Commissioner uh, Chloe Udaly and, and TriMet again. Uh, how much of that project is uh, 
is going to continue regardless of, you know, whatever happens with uh, the um, transportation bond in November? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, unrelated to the bond to your question, I think, I think the bigger question for us is we very much support those initiatives. Um, the speeding of the system up more capacity and frequency, not just speeding up the system uh, mm-hmm. as well um, to minimize pass-ups. And so people can start building their lives around those kind of choices, right? They can get where they want for less time, less impact. Um, and so I think the bigger challenge for us is going to be as we continue to invest in those rose lanes, not only in the city of Portland, but throughout the region, hopefully, um, it's going to be triggered by our financial capacity, which we're still frankly, in some fairly uncharted waters, Andrew. So um, and so that's the fragile revenue line up top that we're watching closely. So we're still trying to earn our way back to putting the full service back in before we leap too forward with a heavy expansion again. But uh, I think we have to, looking past a, um, a COVID or a short-term economy, the Rose Lane initiatives are very important to the success of this region and very supportive. Can, can you continue to invest in it. I just can't tell you the speed of that yeah. investment right now. So uh, again, we're talking in, in late September, uh, TriMet received as, as did other public transit systems, um, federal money through the uh, cares act st- stimulus fund earlier uh, during the pandemic. Uh, is, is there a second wave that you're aware of that's been in discussion? Um, does TriMet need more money from, from the feds to kind of, Put it forward, uh, just from a purely operational perspective. Well, the you know, I first, I really want to thank the federal government for helping us out. Uh, this agency and this region benefited about one hundred eighty-five million dollars. That bought us some time. It did not solve the problem, but it mm-hmm. bought us some time. It allowed us, frankly, to invest in um, our our uh, driver operator safety panels. For example, that's two point eight million dollars. There's things that are COVID related to shore up, so we in fact could continue to be an essential service. Um, you know, cleaning, all those types of things that we've talked about. But that money at some point will run out. Is there a? Uh, there are discussions around another stimulus, um, but there's the surety of that, frankly, is pretty low right now. And I think a lot of it will be predicated on an election. And who wins, what the timing of that is. Um, so I think we're part of my strategy here is to stretch the dollars out as much as we can. That's what the taxpayer would expect. And so I'm trying to preserve cash to, um, if another stimulus comes, we will need it. No question. The only question is when. Um, most of, most of the, our $185 million has been committed to at the end of this month. And so some of those will go through in the remainder of this year, et cetera. Um, but there's, there's not another bank account we're going to be able to tap into. So we will need another stimulus at some point. But uh, um, I think other tra- transit agencies, in fact, just before I came on this call, um, as a compliment to our board of directors and to the, uh, our finance team, uh, we were just reaffirmed by one of the uh, bond rating agencies again, Kroll, as uh, a AAA which in today's economic environment is, uh, I'm, I'm just so proud uh, to be working for an agency that has a AAA bond rating, which really helps you have credibility with the finance markets as we bond um, going forward. So uh, uh, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of unknowns still ahead of us, and yes, um, supplemental funding for the federal level will be very important 
um, uh, uh, down the road. Well, uh, it sure feels uh, after everything that's happened uh, this year in 2020, uh, you know, closing a few Mac stations downtown is positively quaint when you look at it. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> so, you know, when you talk about those stations closing, it, it you know, if we look at this region, so TriMet has two car trains. Most other transit agencies have four, six, eight, even longer ones than that. Mm. And so part of this, because we have Portland, short Portland blocks, right? So we, where the cars can't over the, hang over to the intersection. So, you know, they serve their purpose, um, but you're right. It is, this is all part of speeding up where people have alternatives to go to other places, uh, to helping people who've, who, who work that $15 an hour job in one part of the region and has a long, long day to get home because maybe they work downtown or such. And so part of it is speeding up for them. And there's an equity side to this for me. Um, and so that, that's why I was pushing this um, so so hard against a lot of resistance, of course. So I think it's in the region's best interest um, to, be, to be competitive time-wise. Very important. And at some point, I think long-term, we may actually have to go underground here. But that's for another day and a lot of, a lot of money. But, uh, but that's part of taking the steps of capacity and speed. Um, Right, um, getting through the central business district, and there's some money in that bond we talked about to uh, study a tunnel uh, or to to speed up that study. Uh, so see how Correct. it all shakes out. Well, Doug, thank you so much for taking time to talk, and uh, yeah, stay safe out there. And same to you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with you, Oregonian. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time.